0: I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the belated third and final part of our mini podcast trilogy dedicated to Empire's list of the 50 greatest movie heroes of all time, as voted for by the readers of Empire magazine and the listeners of this very podcast. Anyway, it's time to cut to the chase as we enter the top 10. And when I say we, I mean Helen O'Hara, Ben Travis, Amon Warman, and myself. And if you haven't already listened to parts one and two, do check them out after this on the podcast app of your choice. And I have to say, this is definitely it. The last of a series that started out as a single episode of no more than an hour in length until it became apparent that none of us could keep our trap shut when it came to talking about characters we love. And in some cases, love, not so much. Anyway, I say last, but we might do an omissions podcast down the line. No, bad Chris, bad. Anyway, here we go. Straight into it kind of with number 10 on the list. Enjoy. It's number 10. I'm on. Do you want to do you want to, you know, do the should we get the uh, the Ludwig music going here. Oh
1: da 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 of Wakanda, he is at number 10. <laughs> and yes, I uh, love this character. It's interesting. I think if you look at Thor, who we oh. uh, talked about a while ago, obviously, um, mm-hmm. he is a king, a, a prince who, mm-hmm. you know, becomes a king. And in the first film, between him and Anthony Hopkins and René Russo, there was some regalness that you've got. But the journey that character goes through has seen him become less and less regal. The more we've seen of him with Black Panther, the first moment you see him is like the way this guy carries himself is different, and you really get that. and even you know from you know from Civil war to uh Black Panther to infinity War to endgame, he always mm. carries himself in that regal way, and that for me is a Big, big deal. Um, and I just I love also how wise he is as well. And his you talk talking about someone somebody who's more compasses is in the right place. To let Zemo go at the mm-hmm. end of civil war is a big deal. To the point yeah. where even at the end of Black Panther, how many heroes after a big battle with their nemesis who's threatened to plunge their entire country into ruin would do what he did in terms of taking him up to you know, to to give him that view of Wakanda in the end, to even mm. say, maybe we can still hear you.
2: Yeah, There's only yeah.
1: one here in on the MCU who will do that, and that is T'Challa. And, you know, that's just one of many reasons that I think he's super...
0: Yeah, he's, he's a thinker in a way that I don't think, you know, like Tony is a thinker, but in a very, very different way. His brain works in a very, very different way. Yeah. But he's a thinker in a way that I don't think any other hero in the MCU is. He has compassion in a way that I don't think, you know, Steve obviously has lots of compassion as well, but he is a very compassionate character also. He contemplates his place in the in the firmament. Uh, also, you know, his decision to throw open the doors of Wakanda at the end of the, the first Black Panther movie is is huge. And But one of the most interesting things. I think you're talking about the way that Chadwick Boseman plays the character, Amon, is one of the most interesting choices, I think, is the voice. Mm. Because the voice mm-hmm. is not Chadwick Boseman's voice. It's not even close to Chadwick Boseman's voice. And there's, there's, a, there's a stillness about it. There's a quietness about it. Whenever he speaks, you have to listen because he's quite softly spoken. Um, and it's the complete antithesis in certain ways of how heroes sound or how we, we believe heroes should sound, which is with a deep, manly bass, heavy <laughs> voice, you should listen to me for I'm commanding. And and he's absolutely not that at all. Um yeah, I, I again I think this is a, a character that, you know, there was so much writing on. You know, this is a character that you know, his appearance on the big screen was 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 overdue, I think. But uh, when they when they when they got when they brought him into the MCU, I think they, they got it absolutely right.
1: For me he's still civil war. Uh, and I, for and me, I've, I've stated many times that Civil War is still my favourite MCU movie. He is one of the main reasons why. He is phenomenal. He's only in that movie for about 20 minutes and every single scene he's in is <laughs> just incredible. Um, but yeah, just to your point about Black Panther, it is still, I have never experienced so much pride watching a film before uh, as I did when I watched Black Panther. Uh, it's it's a superb movie in that regard, not just in because of the way he carries himself, like I mentioned, but... Just in terms of what that film does, in terms of showing black people and showing black joy, and you know, showing uh, part of Africa—fictional or no—obviously this is fictional, but which has Mm. been uncolonized, which has been fully allowed to develop on its own steam, and this is the result of that. And to show that on screen in a big Marvel movie, because Mm. you know, this is a point which has been made ad nauseum, but when you see africa normally in movies it's not like that at all to put it mildly mm. um so mm. yeah that was a big deal it's a big deal for so many reasons we we don't have enough time to get into all of it but um <laughs> you know i would only add that chadwick boseman i it was interesting reading the, reading the reviews of black Panther at the time because people were rightfully you know going on about Uh, Michael B. Jordan's performance, rightfully so. It's a fantastic performance. It's the showier performance. And people weren't really paying that much attention. I remember a lot of people at the time were calling Chadwick Boseman boring and that kind of dark boring. But if you go back and watch that film, it's actually not. There's Mm -hmm. a number of really great subtle moments he gets to play because in his mind, he's been betrayed by his father in a big way. And his performance is actually fantastic. It's subtle, but it's fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him in the MCU. The,
2: the other thing I'd just add to kind of what both of you have said and, and particularly going to Chris's note about his voice is I think he's almost entirely free of insecurity um, and especially kind of that male fragility that you sometimes get. He will absolutely go to women for advice and does go to women for advice and is surrounded mm. by incredible women um, mm. and listens to them and, and takes that stuff on board in a way that is quite modern i think and quite rare still to find um and it again it just speaks to this character where he he knows who he is he absolutely knows who he is he absolutely knows what his position is in life he has no doubts on that score he has no reason to have doubts on that score and he acts accordingly and so there is no trace of insecurity in himself he is put in very difficult positions and he you know has to figure out how to deal with those But I think it's really good to see a role model like that for anyone. I don't care about your skin color. For anyone to see a role model like that who just knows who he is, who just accepts himself and who just listens to whoever has the best ideas. I think it's an amazing thing to see.
3: When uh, when Killmonger asks that question, when he's, is this your king? I'm always like, yeah, man, it is.
1: He is the king. He's the dude.
3: Um, I, I think, um, yeah, in terms of the what the film does in and of itself and the message that it provides, I love that whole that whole ending where they literally bring it back to the kids in, in Oakland, the way that mm-hmm. he and Shuri mm-hmm. take the resources that they have and, and plow it back into the real world. That is an amazing way to end the film itself, but as a message to send through that film through this huge Marvel blockbuster I think is an incredible thing and the the way that that character changes through Black Panther the way that he sort of comes to understand his father's legacy in a different way and decides makes an active choice to do something different Mm -hmm. sees what the bad things are in a a very short tenure of being a leader and having already been challenged by somebody else to make a big change like that and stick by it and it be absolutely the right decision I think is is a great thing I, I love the arc of that character and I agree with Amon that I think people didn't necessarily click onto what Chadwick Boseman was doing in that film or what Black Panther as a character was doing in that film. But I think it really, really stands, especially on, um, on repeat viewings.
0: Yeah. Okay, so yes, T'Challa at number 10. Uh, at number 9, it's Kal-El. <laughs> it is Superman, the son of Jor-El, the <laughs> son of our jor Come to me, Superman! <laughs> Superman!
1: It's da, Superman. Da, 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 yeah. da, 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 oh my God! Da, 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 Superman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: look. Uh, he might have the best theme of any of these heroes.
0: I was just about to say that. Okay, because mm. you know, like, spoiler alert: James Bond's coming up, Batman is coming up, <laughs> Luke Skywalker's coming up, I mean, uh, Indiana things, right? motherfucking Jones okay, is coming up. There's,
2: yeah. mm, Indy, there's pretty
0: good themes. Yeah, yeah, Indy's probably
2: the biggest challenge there, though, isn't it? It's, yeah, it, it's, it is. Got be John Williams. Yeah, I, I think. Look, I mean, um, my views on Superman are are well documented. I think he is the bomb. I think anyone who thinks he's boring is not paying attention. I am still in the Christopher Reeve camp. I I I still think that has yet to be surpassed. Uh, But I am very willing to be wrong about that in the future. And I hope that there are more Superman films to prove me wrong on that. But I think what people fail to understand is it's quite difficult to be good. And it's quite difficult to... um, you know put yourself out there and and save people all the day and take responsibility essentially for the entire world which is more or less what he does uh like uh like spiderman you know superpowers don't necessarily make his life easier always even though they totally could with his ludicrous array of superpowers like he mm-hmm. could do freaking anything and instead he goes around like saving buses of old ladies on their way to what you know
0: cats and trees cats and trees <laughs> you
2: know um and it's just kind of, it's the superhero as a local do-gooder at the same time as being the superhero as, you know, world-saving, you know, God. Um, and I think the the Zack Snyder films have very much emphasised the God angle, but they've sometimes forgotten about the cats in trees angle, which I think is very much part of Superman's small town, you know, American apple G- pie-eating oh, as well. yeah. Oh. yeah. And, and I think that's so important to have in there as well. I think you need the small-time Kansas boy because I think he's essential to Superman because otherwise you just have, you know, the version in Red Sun, um, who's amazing. It's an incredible comic book. I love Red but Sun, like, yeah. yeah, it's oh. fantastic. But it's not the traditional Superman in the same way because he doesn't have that that sense of small-time, all oh, values and yet the vision to think globally as well.
3: Oh, if we're talking about representation as well the clock kent side of that character to have a white guy who's a journalist who wears glasses the power that that has <laughs> um, to see yourself on screen i mean i know I he doesn't write about movies that.
1: but
0: <laughs> that's my guy i wondered i wondered where you were going with that my no, god
1: yeah now i completely agree with you on christopher reeve being just peak superman and yeah no, nobody's really for me, come close since, and you know I rewatched some clips. I mean, we watched some clips of various Supermans uh, in preparation for this. And when I watch Christopher Reeve, there's just something about his version of Superman. It's like I immediately trust this guy. I immediately mm-hmm. like this guy. There's a more compass to this guy. I know that you know he's going to try and do the right thing. Nobody has really come close to that since. Because when I look at you know Man of Steel, which has a lot of really great moments the moment when he first takes flight is a top five Superman moment for me. It's Mm. phenomenal. Um, but I just think about, you know, his portrayal in Man of Steel and Batman V Superman. And I'm like, I don't even, you know, forget about trusting this guy in Batman V Superman. I don't like this guy, you know, it's, it's, it's on that level. And I, and I think about, you know, what, what the fundamental core of Superman and I, you know, a, a big part of that is, the Kent's raising, you know, yeah. Clark Kent, and instilling him with those values, and then I yeah. think about the Kents in Man of Steel and Batman V Superman, and what they say to Clark, and it's just there's a reason why you know that's led to the Superman that we've gotten in those films, and it's just a shame to me because I, I again I think Henry Cavill, I said this before, I think he has in him a very good Superman movie if he just gets given a good script to work from. Unfortunately for me, it doesn't have, hasn't quite happened yet. And I know that we've spoken in the past about, you know, uh, seeing Henry Cavill don you know, the cape again for a future Superman mm. movie. Even if by some miracle we get the Superman movie we want, I don't know how we reconcile that with what we've already seen from the character. It will be very, very tricky.
3: Mm. I'm kind of hopeful. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they do with with the snyder cut because i think in this iteration of superman the closest we've got to an actual sort of normal superman like getting to who that character is is um what they did when they spoiler alert brought him back to life at the end of justice league you saw just little hints there more so than in previous um dceu films of of what henry cavill could do being a more hopeful version of that character so i'm really intrigued because so much of what it sounds like the um final acts of of Justice League or what's going to be significantly different, see Mm. what Zack Snyder had in store for him.
2: Yeah, Mm. I I feel like uh, the DCU is maybe just like Hand waving a lot of the stuff they don't like anymore. I think that's what's happening a little bit with Wonder Woman. And I think you could probably do that with Superman as well. Cavill is, I, I've said it before, I think he can sometimes look smug, and I think Superman should never look smug. But at the mm. same time, otherwise, I think he's pretty good Superman. So if you just, you know, kept an eye out for the smug face, I think you'd be great. <laughs> um, and but mostly you need a director who knows who Superman is, who likes Superman, who loves Superman even, and mm-hmm. who really wants to get this guy who spends his entire life saving other people to the detriment of his own existence. That's the guy. That's who he is.
1: That's the massive um, thing that's missing from Man of Steel mm. and Batman v Superman. Superman as a protector. For all of the issues Superman Returns has, Superman as protector is something that we get to see in that film. And that's a joyous thing every time it happens. Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, if your name is not Lewis, good luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's something which, you know, Superman iterations, uh, must have. And I hope that in future, uh, we do get that because he is a fantastic character. And if there was ever a time where we were in need of a great Superman movie, given what's happening in the world right now, now is the damn time. And I mm-hmm. hate every time I read an article saying Warner Brothers saying, no, now is not the right time for a Superman movie because it might not work. It, it makes me want to hit a wall. It's complete ludicrousness. Every time I see that, this guy is an immigrant who's come to America to try and... Ha- and look at the world today. It, it, it's it's annoying every time I hear that. So, you know, again, give me a good Superman movie and give it to me now, please.
0: Yeah, guys, those are a really interesting points. I'd I'd have to say that my favorite Superman movie is the best of Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, no one is Superman Returns, I guess. They, oh. <laughs> no. It has its moments. It does it have really moments. Does. It really does. It's just, mm. just
2: not enough of them.
0: My thing with Superman Returns is, as much as I enjoy that film, most of its best moments are built on nostalgia for other moments in mm-hmm. other films. Yeah. So I remember getting goosebumps whenever the I first credits. saw it. The credits. <laughs> and credits then are the, incredible. The, the planet Krypton theme coming in and you're going, Oh my god, this is incredible. Singer has knocked it out of the park and then the rest of the movie happens. And yeah. it's not not that it's terrible, it's not terrible at all, but uh, you know, and the, the space shuttle sequence is incredible, but you know, it's just it's just not as good as what it's it, as the films it's trying to evoke, principally mm-hmm. Superman one and two. Um, mm-hmm. which for me are still you know, far and yeah. away. Yep. Unparalleled. Unparalleled. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, justice for Brandon Routh. I think he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's excellent in a role. But, yeah, there's no one can touch Chris Reeve. Uh, and I, you know, I've said this before in the podcast, but I would hope that Henry Cavill gets a chance. Now that it seems like he is going to be Superman again, I would hope that he gets a chance to finally show what he can do in that role because I think he has been super straight jacketed mm. for about three movies now. But, uh, but hey Moving on. That was Superman at number nine. At number eight. It's uh, time for a 15-minute lecture from Helen on her favourite movie character of all time. Um, Everyone turn off their microphones to let Helen take the floor on James Bond?
2: Is that right? Am I press that right, Helen? James Bond? James Bond. Yes, James
0: Bond. Yeah. James Bond. Oh. Hey, wow. know yes, he, he did. Hey. Yes, he did. Frequently. Um, so, yes, James Bond. Helen, do you have anything to say on this this wonderful, groundbreaking, progressive character?
2: <laughs> I mean, he has some good action sequences. <laughs> and I'll leave it to you guys.
0: Oh, he also has some cracking theme tunes. He, he does have a cracking
2: theme tune. Yeah, that's he fair. Does. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and James- nice suits. Really good suits. I won't. I won't hear a word against his suits, except that okay. safari suit.
0: Great. No, don't you diss the safari suit? Do not diss the safari suit. That I safari suit will. that Roger Moore wears mm-hmm. in uh, Live and Let Die is perhaps the pinnacle of fashion in film. It's the moment at which everyone in every movie since should have just been Starkers because you're just not going to top that. You're just not going to beat it. That's my opinion. So, he has the best suits. He has the best gadgets. I mean, Batman
2: would like a word, but okay.
0: Does Batman have better gadgets than Bond?
2: It's an interesting discussion that would probably take more time than we have here. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he, he has got some uh, wonderful toys. Yeah, where does he
2: get those wonderful toys? Hamleys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, the Q-Branch floor of Hamleys. Um, but yeah. Which All it was so, in
2: one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in uh, the one where uh, Stephen Fry was R? Wasn't he in Hamleys? Stephen Fry was R? Wasn't Stephen are Fry R? About? Am I John making Cleese? this up? John Cleese, John Cleese, shit! Yeah. Well done, me. But wasn't he just Hanley's? confusing
0: one tall uh, Oxbridge-educated comedian with another one?
2: Yeah, they're all the same to me.
0: Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> um, Sorry, anyway, okay, back but to Halley's. Bond. He has mm-hmm. yes, he has the best. He has the best toy stores. He has the best suits. He has the best gadgets. He has the best one-liners. He has the best progressive politics that aren't rooted <laughs> at all in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> um, wow. He has the best stunts. I know. Genuine uh, argument debatable. to be made Debitable. that Debitable. the stunt in The Man with the Golden Gun, where the car does the corkscrew jump, mm-hmm. albeit it's ruined by uh, someone adding in post production a whistle, literally as the car flips and does his <laughs> jump, where the, the car literally goes boop. And we <laughs> why would you add that? There's an argument to be made that that is the greatest stunt in the history of motion pictures. <laughs> There's an argument to be made. But otherwise, I could take or leave him really what do you guys think
1: no no bond i I really i really like bond you know it's there are a few heroes on this list who have been reinvented a whole bunch of times but that doesn't happen unless the core tenets of the character remain cool and desirable for that amount of time and as you alluded to chris bond is almost always the best dressed guy in the room he's always the guy who gets the most beautiful woman. Um, he's always the guy who gets to go to the coolest locations, the cool onliners, the gadgets, the unflappableness. And the- <laughs> Chris is pointing to himself. Let the record reflect.
0: Um- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, people see Bond films; they see escapism. I see the a, a drudgery. I see, I see my my basic daily life replicated on the big screen, and it's so dull.
1: Yeah. What I was going to say uh, Sorry. <laughs> is that I think, you know, if you're a man of any age, it's hard not to look at a Bond film and think at some point, I want to be that guy because he's the coolest guy. Um, I think what makes him a hero, and John Nugent, who wrote the bit for this, says it in the mag, uh, he always gets his man, which is probably the main reason why M and all the rest put up with him because he goes against orders a lot in these movies <laughs> and a lot, I mean a lot. And you know, it's because they know he's the best and he knows they know he's the best so, they, so he can get away with that a whole bunch. Um, insufferable. Oh. <laughs> Helen is really loving this. this, this
2: <laughs> no, um, no, it's fine.
3: I think my favourite thing about James Bond is that um, the the opening of, of Casino Royale with that parkour sequence, which is genuinely great. That's such an exciting action sequence, gave us... The sequence in the office where they're all running around shouting parkour parkour and trying to jump over sofas and jump into skips. So if for nothing else, James Bond is a hero for indirectly indirectly giving us one of the greatest moments in the office.
2: I mean that happens in a Harry Dresden book as well, though, where he's learning parkour and just keeps running around going parkour every time he jumps over something. Yeah, I mean you know he's very cool. He is a he is just a, a figure of male wish fulfillment, I think, and that's yeah. both his strength and his weakness. I feel, and I, I realize that there have been attempts to inject depth and, you know, into the character over the years, and with varying degrees of success. And I think that um, Daniel Craig, in his better films, has come closest to achieving that. But I, he's still not my favorite character. Let's be honest.
0: <laughs> Timbo Dalton would uh, would beg to differ.
2: Well, no, I, I I would very much include Dalton in in having done that. Oh yeah.
0: The boy mm. Dalt, the boy dolts. He's he's exceeded <laughs> two films, knocked them both out of the park, and then dropped the mic. Uh, that is how you do it. That is how you do it. Uh, yeah, listen. You know, Bond has his uh, has his issues, but uh, yeah, I think he's undoubtedly a hero, even though he is a selfish snob, a Beatles <laughs> hating snob at the height of his Sean Connery powers. Oh, what a prick! Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> a you know, killer. there is. He's what? He's a cold blooded yes, killer. killer. Yes, but he has a license, Helen. Oh, he has a license okay. to kill. He even did a song about it, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all fine.
2: Did you know that in medieval times you could get a license to crenolate, which would allow you to put those big spiky bits on top of your castle? I want to see that as a Bond film, anyway. Crenolate
0: <laughs> is actually a great name for a Bond villain as well. Right? Yeah. It could work I so would t- well. I would be totally in for that. Yeah, Bond's Magic license to kill reminds me of. Bond's license to kill reminds me of two great jokes about uh, Frank Drebin in uh, the Naked Gun. First, the Naked Gun, uh, the first Naked Gun, where he retires from the force uh, or is fired. I think we can't quite remember. And he, he's putting his gun on his desk and he, just, he, he says, "Just think, next time I shoot someone, I could get arrested." And, then, and, then, and then the, the second one is when he is at the beginning of Naked Gun Two and a Half when he is being, um, uh, he's been honoured because he has just killed his five hundredth uh, drug dealer, and he sta- he stands up and he goes. Uh, Actually, I backed over the last two of my car. Luckily, they turned out to be drug dealers. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, uh, just very, very quickly on Bond, because we're all clearly on the same page uh, vis-a-vis the character. Who's your
1: favourite Bond? Ooh, between Connery and Craig. I think Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I grew up, I grew up on Brosnan, um, who does have his moments. Um, but Craig really, the, that, that balance between intensity and vulnerability that we were talking about, I think is great. And Casino Royale is my favourite Bond movie. Uh, he is amazing in that movie. And uh, it really go really went into some unexpected places, but in a really good, satisfying way. I've I rewatched it recently and it's still very, very good. And I hope mm. uh, Craig leaves the franchise the way he entered it on a high.
0: Oh, fingers crossed. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be it nice? Because nice. at the moment he's two out of two, two out of four. Uh, he's got a 50% uh, batting rate. Is that what you say in Spaceball? <laughs> Wait, Spaceball? What the fuck is Spaceball? Uh, yeah. Ben, wh- where do you stand? So I I don't go super deep
3: on Bonds. It's, It's like not massively my area but i i have really enjoyed what daniel craig has done and i think they've had some really sort of admirable attempts to yeah drag that character into some to question some of those like unsavory things about him in these films but having like amon grown up on pierce Brosnan, um, I'm kind of ready for a lighter Bond again. Like, I do want the Craig era to go out on a high, but I'd I'd like a little bit more fun and a little bit more camp back in that world now. Um, so that's kind of where I hope it goes next. But um, yeah, I, I do really like the Craig Bond.
1: I miss the gadgets.
3: Mm. And yeah, actual have, gadgets are not lacking. just like, this gun only shoots for you, which is why <laughs> you can't wear these gloves in this fight scene.
2: I tend to think that Dalton is the best in terms of just... Bringing the character on the page to life, um, and not going too far from that, because I think I think uh, Craig has really rooted in the books, but then tried to add some modern psychology. Um, And I think the others, at at times, at least, went off in completely crazy other directions. But um, but yeah, I think I like Dalton. I mean,
0: (laughs) Craig's uh, Dalton tried in a way, I think, and had Dalton made more than two. Bond films, I think we would probably, had Bolton made GoldenEye, for example, I think we'd be Mm. talking about him as undisputedly the best. Uh, But he wasn't held by the fact that there was a six year gap and then during that time yeah, both he and Eon decided to go their separate ways. But had he made say Golden Hour or another film immediately after License to Kill, I think we'd be talking about him as the best one. And he might have even prefigured Craig in terms of introducing an arc to the character. That's mm-hmm. one thing that you know the Craig, uh, the Craig Bond has has on the other ones. You know, you, there's there's obviously loose continuity with all the Bonds until they reboot it with Craig. You know, so you get the references to the the, the Dalton and the Brosnan Bonds both referring to the. Their wife, the you know, guy, the, to yeah. the Lazenby that the Lazenby bond uh, married when he married Diana Rigg. But it was a very, very loose continuity. And you got the sense that Connery and Moore just didn't give a shit about that, about the the general arc of the character. And I mean that in the best possible way. And I love them both, uh, you know, immensely. But, you know, for them, each bond was a reset button being hit. And uh, Dalton changed that. And also, I think his, his films. Um, you know He perhaps wasn't the best at the quips and one-liners, but Licence to Kill is, for me, the best Bond film. I've said that already on the record. There you go. I'm saying it again. Dalton's the best. Licence to Kill's the best. James Bond is the best. Why was James Bond not a 007 on this list? Why is he <laughs> a 008? <laughs> hey. This is bullshit. This
1: it's is bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> at
0: 007 is Leia Organa, Princess yes. Leia, AKA General <laughs> Leia. Correct. Yeah. I mean look Correct. okay
2: I've I've said this in the magazine years ago and I'm going to repeat myself um but it's an interesting role in that first uh, trilogy especially because what you have in that series of films is a series of um codependent male pairs um Han and Chewie uh, Luke and Obi-Wan um the emperor and Darth Vader C3PO and R2D2 who are at least male coded even if they're not technically male um you needed a woman as a beard Basically, because otherwise it would have been the campest <laughs> film ever, instead of like seventeenth campest. And and single handedly, Carrie Fisher, you know, drops it down that list by being like super super cool. Um, the, you know, when have you ever seen a rescue attempt like that one in the first film, where she basically just gives her rescuers shit nonstop? for the whole rest of the film for the quality of their rescue. and ungrateful, she's just
0: Helen, is what I would say. Ungrateful. Yeah,
2: she is, well, it, there is an element of ingratitude, but there's also an element of, for God's sake, I could have done this better myself. I, wish I was thinking of a way out. Just give oh, me a in minute. in your own time,
0: Your Highness.
1: Well,
2: okay, Han. But, you know, I just, I love her for that. I love her, her lack of... Um, deference, really, to anyone. I love the fact that it doesn't come across so much as spoiled princess as it does hyper-competent leader who has no time for your shit. And I, I just adore her. She is my role model in life and everything. And, uh, yeah. and she can rock a white dress. I mean, they rescue her from prison and her dress is still white. Is that made of the same stuff as the suit in the man in the white suit? How is that even possible? Doesn't make any sense. I love it.
0: Yeah. I love how she changes her accent. So, you know, she's got this kind of, uh, you know, kind of posh American accent going on. But then when she's talking to you know Darth Vader in, in The New Hope, she's like, Darth Vader, only you could be
2: so bold. You know, it's like, what's, what's going <laughs> on with I that? don't think she knows what was going on with her accent, to be honest. She's been pretty I've, clear about that yes, ever since. I thought
0: I detected your foul stench when I was brought on board. <laughs> you know, it's a, Little bit like that, isn't it? But uh, yeah. yeah, she's she's great. She's absolutely she's absolutely wonderful, and um, she brings a real um, a soupçon of personality to a film. Because mm. you, know, you know, we'll talk about Luke in a, in a couple of minutes. But Luke, in especially in New Hope, mm. is yeah, spoiler. Uh, Luke is a whiny shithead, and oh. and she's great, and she just deals with it and deals with this bullshit. And uh, you can see why she's she's paired up with uh, with Han Solo. She's higher than Han Solo on his list. ha. yeah, take that, take
3: Damn that, right. Yeah. This it's is probably, probably so. why the
2: marriage fell apart. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't handle, handle
3: it. someone else being cooler than him. Um, <laughs> I, I really like as well. Allow me then to now bang the drum for the for the sequel trilogy. Um, mm. Obviously, I think we all wish that there was more layer in the sequel trilogy. Obviously, they they had big plans for for that character for um, Episode Nine. That then. With Carrie Fisher, obviously sadly passing away, they couldn't lean into. But even in the performances that she did give, I love how they evolved that character and, yeah, made her a general. It felt very, very fitting. Um, I don't think it was massively successful at this, but I liked that they at least explored her force sensitivity because that's just dropped in at the end of um, Mm -hmm. Return of the Jedi and they never really get to explore it. So I think I I sort of give them credit for even, um, yeah, exploring the side of it that she has. She's force sensitive too, and she has abilities and uh that even despite that she's chosen her own path of of yeah becoming a, a general in the in the resistance um yeah she she's just great like just seeing Carrie Fisher back in that role um at seeing her and and Han
1: sort of reuniting is is beautiful i I love it mm.
2: it was the best kind of fan service yeah mm.
1: there's hmm. there's lots of different kinds of heroism in star wars um but hers. I think is the most reliable, she's the Star Wars hero you can rely on the most. You think about Han, as much as I love him, he's flaky. You think about even Luke in The Last Jedi, he has his moments of sort of doubt. And obviously that's part of his journey, which I really, really enjoy, but it did happen. You think about Leia, it doesn't matter how bad things are. It doesn't matter who or what she's lost. She can always be counted on to do the Mm -hmm. right thing for the resistance and to do it while remaining cool, calm and collected most of the time. That's leadership. That's her. That's why yeah, she's she, on she also
2: has so much compassion. Like um, Luke's just lost his mentor of a few days. Let's be honest, and she's comforting him. She's just lost her freaking planet, dude. I yeah, mean, sure. and she she she's the one everyone. comforting him. <laughs> I mean, she didn't she know put,
0: everyone on that planet. I'm,
2: I'm going to go ahead and say she knew more than one person and for longer <laughs> than a few days, Chris.
0: Yeah, but they were so. all dickheads.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> All we know of Alderaan is that they were nice people.
0: No, but all all dickheads is what you call people from Alderaan. All dickheads. Uh-huh. Is what, that's it, it's mm-hmm. it's canon. Um, yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. She's so it. awesome. She could uh, withstand being an that gold bikini, uh, which could have sunk that character, but uh, but really didn't.
3: I mean, even then you get the image of her literally st- strangling Jabba in the chains that he tried to capture her in. So that's a pretty badass sort of image Metaphor. as well.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Metaphor. <laughs> patriarchy with its own chains. There you go. So there we go. Princess General Leia Organa slash Solo slash Skywalker, whatever you want to call her, is at number seven. At number six, he's a billionaire, genius, playboy, philanthropist, who likes to dress up in a costume and fight evil. It is, of course, Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. <laughs> Batman. Why did you think I was talking about someone else? Uh, Batman is at number six. And, I was I thinking, I've got a feel we've talked fans. about Batman. What the hell was that? <laughs>
1: Whoa. Uh, it's my favorite. Sorry, that was quote. me.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen, I thought you didn't do impressions. Sorry, my throat was sore. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll
2: never have to uh, love it
3: of, of course we, we are mainly um, we're mainly talking about the Will Arnett Lego Batman right
2: the best Batman, Batman. No, but this is, no 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 let me just let me just set everything we're about to say up by saying this oh, there is boy. no one Batman there is no right or wrong Batman the Adam West Batman is I... absolutely <laughs> no I'm not even Kevin Conroy yet. I'm on I know where you're going with this the, The Adam West Batman is absolutely as canonical as the Dark Knight Batman, as the Batman v Superman Batman, as the Lego Batman, as the Keaton Batman... As the Kevin Conroy Batman, there is no one right Batman because it is a character that has just this small <laughs> core of basic fact, and then you can do whatever the heck you want with him. Um, and that includes the campy version, and that includes the ultra-serious, boring version, sorry, uh, brooding version. And, um, and that's, the, that's the glory of Batman, I guess. Now I am on, you can explain why I'm wrong and why it's Kevin Conroy. Go on.
1: Well, oh, wow. Um, to, the batman v superman batman is not a batman that i recognize to me because once True. you start killing people then you're not batman and to me I, and i've said this before he's in that movie is the punisher in a bat suit that, that that is what he is and that to me you know i can be i can be here for like 30 minutes and talk about all the ways that interpretation pissed me off but i'm not going to do that instead i'm going to talk about why kevin conroy is the best Batman, and by the way, another thing. This is another thing I need to take up with Empire Editorial. The one Batman who should definitely be part of this is not included. What, what's going on? Do I need to come <laughs> over there and have a talk with somebody? This is this ridiculous. But anyway, Kevin Conway, Batman. Swear Batman. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on pops into the Empire offices. <laughs> what are you here? <laughs> Just might do that.
2: Just might do like that. Well, me the problem
0: is, i If you if you came to the Empire offices right now, you would they'd, they'd be empty. There would you know there'd be no one there. Yeah, so you, you're point. going to come to everyone's houses, uh, and that works I, advise, for me. I advise against it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, that's but yeah. Uh, so yeah. Kevin Conroy is great, isn't he? He's he's awesome. Yeah, we, we love Kevin Conroy.
1: Whenever I read the comics, it's his voice uh, that I sort of hear in my head when I read the comics, and and that will never change. It's the Batman that I grew up with. um, And that interpretation of the Batman animated series, which went on to Justice League, is everything you want to see from Batman in terms of he is the smallest guy in the room. He is the the Dark Knight detective. He is the master of cool gadgetry with non-lethal combat. And we haven't really seen that combination of things, which for me sort of, are very, very important in a depiction of Batman. I haven't seen that combination of things um, in a really, in, in, in as potent a way as we do in those animated series. I mm. think for me, Justice League, the animated series is the best super animated series of all time. And it's one of the reasons why I get frustrated when I look back at the first three movies in the DCEU because I know what that had the potential to be. If you go back and watch this animated series, and I've tried to get Helen to do this to, to no success. I'm, I've just, I've
2: got, I will. I'm just busy with stuff.
1: Um, it's okay. You're, you're, you're writing the book. I've, it's fine, you know, but afterwards we need to talk. Yeah, um, yeah, after. But uh, yeah, the the relationship that Batman has with Superman, for instance, in that show is just phenomenal. And these guys should be the best of friends in the live action. I'm getting, again mm-hmm. to Batman V Superman again. I don't want to do that, but Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Convoy is just fantastic. Um, and I watched, uh, this, uh, documentary, which is now on YouTube called the heart of Batman recently, which, you know, they go through the entire history of the birth of that animated series. There's a reason why it's still regarded as like one of, if not the best to sort of the super animated show of all time mm. and the, the combination of the people who are working behind the scenes and the people who were voicing those characters made that show into what it is. And Kevin Convoy is a massive part of that. Um, He is for me, my, my Batman. And again, he should be, you know, just take out, Michael Keaton, take out Christian Bale. Just have Kevin with Batman as a picture. Yeah. Whoa, I said back, back the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like those guys. Believe me, Batman Begins is great. Dark Knight is great. Batman Begins, I've said this before, has the greatest super ending to... Uh, the, the greatest ending to a superhero film ever, in my opinion. I think the final minute of that film is <coughs> exceptional. <clears throat> no, no, I'm sorry. The final Ooh. minute of Batman Begins is better than the final minute of Endgame.
0: Wow. wow is, this, is this Amon says wrong things, day? I just want to see... Can you show me your I, calendar? I, I want to if see I if you've got something circled. My,
1: i got the mic in my hand and I'm dropping it. There you go. Just
0: that. Uh, really? So many things I've to fight against. Some men
3: just want to watch the world burn, Chris.
1: <laughs> but I love them all. Superheroes are great... Endgame is great Michael Keaton is great Christian Bale is great It's just that Kevin Conway's better I'm done It feels like you have
2: Turned on yourself It's just like Seconds ago You were about to throw Michael Keaton off a fucking building Now you're saying he's great What's going on? There's no point Throwing him off a building He would just Just fly down Wouldn't he He'd he'd use his cloak And like Click out the wings And he'd be fine (laughs)
0: Quick quick question here.
2: Doesn't the Michael Keaton Batman, which is I love
0: that Batman, I love those two Batman yeah. films, but doesn't he kill people as well? I'm pretty sure he does. He, he does, sure does.
1: Yeah, he does, count. yeah. But there's a difference between, you know, when he like Batman v. Superman takes it to just a whole the guy is machine gunning, he's bamming that yeah. battle into people's yeah. heads in head. now. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: there's different there's different formulations of Batman's one rule, and it's either doesn't kill or doesn't use guns. But either way, Batman v. Superman Definitely breaks it. Whereas with all with the, most of the other Batmans, there's at least a little bit of wiggle room mm. um, on whether he breaks it or not. But I think, yeah, they, I mean, because they weren't so concerned with um, canon and the rules back in the 80s and 90s. So he does, That's yeah, the King of Batman doesn't it, yeah. entirely... Um, Conform yeah. to the rule, either. Um, I,
3: I think yeah. Helen's point of wiggle room. I think he's always basically been a psychopath, and he's been in complete denial about. It's like, <laughs> dude, you drop this guy off a building, or you like, you've given this person PTSD, and he he just doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. He's yeah. Just, well, this uh... has been
2: this is my big problem with Batman, as you know, is l- like I I find it hypocritical that, that the one rule makes no sense, basically. But there is a rule. There should be a rule that he follows, and he can make sense of, even if I can't, as a lawyer, because it doesn't make any sense in law but you know fine
3: (laughs) i I mean i I do totally agree with what helen was saying about it shows the strength of the character that you can project as many different tones and shades onto batman and it works in all senses and there is a lot Mm. of love for for everything from yeah the campier side of batman to um even the within the darker representations of batman you have the super serious real world nolanization you also have the really sort of eerie gothic heightened dark batman in Mm -hmm. in tim burton's superman and in bits of the animated series and comics um and i i think it's just a really interesting canvas to be able to project a lot of things onto while still having a core of this damaged person who is trying to overcome their damage by trying to fill a void that they can never fill um i think is a, a really interesting idea and to take that quite bleak notion and make him heroic is um is a is a tricky balancing act but i think i think it really works
2: I'm interested to see what happens in The Batman as well. I, I feel like that's, um, we haven't really seen the great detective aspect particularly mm. played mm. on screen, apart from a few scenes in the Keaton movies. And it would be really nice, I think, to to see that developed. So I'm, I'm excited.
0: Yeah. I, I remember uh, asking Chris Nolan about this because I spoke to him just ahead of Batman Begins and he said, oh no, there's definitely going to be a detective element. I, I, I don't remember it. But you know, <laughs> yeah, that would that would be nice, something new. But you know, your Batman, you're absolutely right. He reflects the concerns of the people who direct him, of his directors. He also reflects, I think, the the time. In mm. which that particular film is made or that particular creation. You know, Frank Miller's Batman is is very different from the Adam West Batman. It's very different from the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm going to say Best Bruce Wayne on screen. We're discounting Kevin Conroy. Yes, I know Mask of the Phantasm got a, got a release, but we're, we're discounting it for, for the time being. at least being.
1: acknowledging it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to
0: discount that. We're going to <sighs> stick to live action Batman only. Okay. Best Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton. Best no. Batman, Christian Bale. Christian Bale, Bale.
2: yeah. Yeah, I'll accept that. Although,
0: I don't particularly like a lot of what happens in those movies, but Affleck does a good job uh, in in, nailing the physicality of the character and the Mm. look of the character and the mood of the character.
1: Ben Affleck is not the problem with those movies.
2: Yeah. True.
0: Anyway, now we move into the top five, Uh, Luke Skywalker. The rise of Skywalker has stopped at number five. No further for Luke Skywalker. Uh, what's your take on this beloved character?
2: In terms of character arc, there can't be very many people on this list who have a bigger one. I feel, I feel like Luke Skywalker starts off as this absolutely, I mean, not to say cardboard cutout, because I think that's a bit harsh, but he he's very <laughs> much the archetype of the naive farm boy, the enthusiast, um, the youngster. Who is all good intentions and absolutely no experience and knowledge, and and that's that's his starting point, and we've seen it a million times, Um, deliberately so. It was based on you know the hero with the thousand faces by Joseph Campbell and all the rest. So it's it's deliberately set up as an archetype. But what he goes through, and what he learns about himself, about his family, about his destiny or lack thereof, about the power that he has or doesn't have. I think is one of the most interesting arcs here and the fact that he fails spectacularly um with the next generation the fact that he um doesn't know how to deal with it the fact that he cuts himself off from the from the single thing he's spent his whole life looking for as a sort of penance and a sort of you know Ruff. I don't know self-castigation kind of technique I think he is incredible um and I I all credit to Mark Hamill who I think uh, was given A lot of room to play with in the, in the sequels and really kind of went for it. He, I think he brought everything he's learned about acting in the, in the many years since and kind of put it into that character. And I love him in that. I absolutely love him in, in Last Jedi. And Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> I just think he's so much more fun, much more interesting. But but the seeds were so, and they are there in the original trilogy as well. Um, and I think that that's what's great is that you can see these little bits of darkness, the struggle that Luke has once he gets past mere enthusiasm and gets into actual knowledge and getting closer to power. He has to deal with stuff, and I think that's why it works so well when when you see him really, really struggling. You know, thirty years later
3: yeah i mean i'll I'll, um back you up there especially the the way they take that character in the last jedi i understand um that some people still just just don't like that interpretation but i think it makes him so much more interesting um to have this this character who is who is heroic and who has had this past legacy of, of amazing sort of acts of heroism still in later life having these really complicated um, feelings to deal with and and having to deal with his own shame and and wanting to hide away and i i think the way that they bring him back um the way that he enters the fray at the end it gives you exactly what you want it gives you the badass luke when he force projects onto onto crate and faces down the first order it gives you that legend that you want to see but also that character like knowing the role that he can play knowing that the best thing he can do is stall and give time instead of rushing in and like dying on the battlefield instantly um it's smart and it shows evolution in that character it shows growth and the growth that he gets through interacting with ray and ah i I absolutely love that interpretation i I think it's amazing and like you said the arc of, of where he begins there's a real joy and there's a real um just pure wish fulfillment to the the farm boy from nowhere who's looking up at the sky dreaming of this bigger destiny and finding out that he can have that um all the darkness that he goes through in the in the original trilogy i think just makes that such a an interesting journey um for him and yeah i i love Luke skywalker i think he's amazing yeah
1: yeah no you guys have said all i just it's really, we don't really get to see, there's, there's not many heroes on this list who are flawed and get to fight through that to, to something sort mm-hmm. of better on the other side. And, but when it's done in a way, in a way such as Luke, it makes it all the more satisfying sort of watching that journey take place. And you think about not only with, Uh, the revelation of Darth Vader and then him having to sort of fight through that to turn him towards the light. But then you think about what they did with The Last Jedi and having that floor be, you know, even more explicit and having to fight through it again in a really satisfying way. Um, And that's a really enjoyable journey to watch. I really, I really like the character.
3: I, I, not to bang on about the Last Jedi too much, but I think <laughs> potentially my my favourite scene in maybe all of Star Wars is the Ooh. Luke and Yoda scene in the Last Jedi. I think that is just absolutely beautiful, and the the conversation that those two have as different generations of Jedi, as yeah, a conversation across generations, across years of knowledge and experience accrued, both having been um mentors to younger jedi and seeing what that means and thinking about their legacy and the legacy of the jedi order um that whole notion of of um we are what they grow beyond that's the true burden of all masters i think is absolutely fucking amazing um and yeah I, i think they there's just a real depth to that conversation, and that comes so much from Luke and from everything
0: that Luke has gone through, and um, yeah, it's just beautiful. You've you've all nailed it there, pretty much. Uh, he's great. The, the 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 deepening of the character, the 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 shades that Hamill is allowed to introduce. You know, I think informed in part by stuff he went on in his uh, the stuff went on in his own personal life as well. You know, between New Hope and an Empire, and you know. Uh, it, it's really interesting, you know the the I, the the fader, the fader Luke stuff at the end of Empire, and the fader Emperor Luke stuff at the end of Return of the Jedi is is wonderful, um, complex and interesting, and even moving if you if you you know want to go in that direction. And yeah, I'm also on board with the Last Jedi. I think it's great and. The people who wanted to see, you know, listen. I don't think that he. I don't think. I think. Ryan Johnson did the best, especially with what the hand he was dealt by J.J. Abrams, whose decision to leave Luke out of um, the Force Awakens is still one that I I don't entirely agree with. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's, he's it's a wonderful character and uh, and Hamill. Uh, it's great to see him get this kind of second career. I mean he always he had this he had this side career as a as a great voice actor, but it's great to see him being recognized now and uh and and getting to do stuff worthy of his talents. Uh okay, into the top 4 now. Number 4. Captain America? Is that mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell with anybody? I Don't think it rings that a bell sound with, with me. That sounds familiar. Yeah, there's
2: definitely a sense of familiarity there. No, look, um
0: no, that's is
2: number the, five. Ah, um, this guy's just the best. I I love him uh, as we all know, but I'm. Um, it, it is because, and I think what they did really well in those films is that they showed it isn't easy being good being green. or green, um, as we know from <laughs> the Muppets. Um, but yeah, it's not an easy thing. You know, you can have the best moral compass in the world, and your life is still going to be shit. Um, and I think that's what is is so good about Steve Rogers is that he really, really struggles, and he unfailingly still does what he thinks is right and what he thinks is best. Um, And it's just kind of miraculous to see that because I'm I'm so bored with all due respect to all the Batmans. I'm so bored of the brooding uh, endlessly. And I just want to see someone who knows what the right thing is and does it and puts up with the consequences, however bad they are. And like Steve has had an objectively dreadful life, like a childhood absolutely dominated by one illness after another. Lost his father, what in infancy, if I recall correctly, his mother um in as a youth, um basically brought up by his best mate and their parents, literally newspaper in his shoes because they couldn't afford anything else, um probably hungry half the time, certainly sick most of the time, obviously, as we've said, um wanted to you know do the right thing, stand up to bullies. Help out his country and need couldn't do any of that because he was just pathetic um and even when he gets the chance, you know things immediately immediately go wrong for him um and continue to go wrong basically through his entire existence that we know of. if anyone ever deserved a happy ending and a nice you know dance around to some forties music, it's definitely Steve rogers um so i just I just love him I just think it's I don't think that. <sighs> A lack of moral clarity is necessarily a good character trait for the stories that we tell ourselves endlessly. I don't think we always need to say, "Oh, it's more complicated than that," because sometimes it isn't. And um, and I think sometimes we do ourselves as a society, as a civilization, a disservice in pretending mm. that there's no such thing as as right and wrong, because sometimes there is. And so I kind of like that there's Steve Rogers out there. Starting with one of the
0: problems with uh, the Cavill Superman?
2: Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, just, but, just be but, a good guy. You yeah, know,
0: absolutely. Just plant your feet and look the other person in the eye and tell the truth. And, uh, and you, say, uh, uh, yeah, you unless move. of course yeah. you <laughs> obfuscate the truth about the death of someone's parents. he was trying because to that,
2: do the right thing. Even there, even there, he's trying to protect everybody. He's trying to protect everybody. He's and man,
1: worthy. It's not easy. It's Brent, should be he is worthy. we're not we're
0: not the arbiters of whether or not Steve Rogers is worthy right Mjolnir is the arbiter of whether Steve Rogers is worthy and it finds Mm. him worthy so therefore I'm going to stand back from this one Steve and Tony bury the hatchet I think at the moment when no no Thor has the hatchet (laughs) I think at the moment when uh, Steve and Tony shake hands and resentment is corrosive and all that sort of stuff that's the point where Mjolnir goes ooh hello (laughs) and even then Mjolnir begins twitching Yeah, just flying through time and space. To try Where is he now? He's in 1970 New Jersey. I can't possibly go there. Uh, yeah, listen, I I love this character as well. It's, it, this would have been absolutely the possibly the easiest character to fuck up in the mm-hmm. early days oh, of yeah, the for MCU. Sure. Uh, for sure. And there's so much writing on on getting Thor right. And there's so much writing that they got Tony right. No question about that, uh, as we'll discuss in a second. Uh, spoiler, and, spoiler, and, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, and uh, you know they got—they got, they, they got Thor right, but you're absolutely right. Cap could have been bland, he could have been boring, he could have been one note, and I think these were concerns that Chris Evans had when he took on mm. the role as well. But he was steered right by Marcus McFeely. The, the guys who, more than anyone else, I think, in the MCU, were able to take a single character and plot his journey yeah. all the way through, from First Avenger all the way to Endgame. And of course, aided in that by the Russos. I was thinking the other day, I don't know whether we give the Russos uh, and Marcus McFeely and Feige and all the, the team at Marvel, and I know that you know people, people still look down their noses at the MCU, mm-hmm. still. We Mm -hmm. don't. This is a safe space for uh, fans (laughs) of the biggest franchise in movie history. We're all all good. But think about this. I texted you, Helen, the other day with this Mm -hmm. going, the Russos directed in a five-year period Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. And not only didn't fuck Mm -hmm. any of them up, made arguably four of the greatest blockbusters of all time, in a row, without stopping. That's mm. incredible. And yeah, at so- the heart of those movies, with the exception maybe of Infinity War, is Steve Rogers. Some absolute galaxy brain shit right there. That's in-
3: <laughs> insane.
0: Um, it's mind-blowing. Uh,
3: yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I think um, they got Cap right from the beginning like that scene in first avenger where before he's even bulked up when he's still skinny scrawny steve and he jumps on the grenade like right from Mm. that moment you know they've got that character down and i I think what you were saying they did exactly the right thing in not complicating the character not trying to make the character murky but taking a sort of very clean optimistic character and putting him in a murky world is a much more interesting way to go and i think they did that brilliantly um especially in in winter soldier and and civil war Mm. um where yeah taking somebody who is so clean cut and sticking him in a world where nothing is quite as simple as it was when from from the time that he grew up in i think is um a really smart way to go and it allows you to do so many interesting things with that character without compromising the the authentic core of, of who he is. And yeah. Um, and yeah, Chris Evans plays all of those shades so well.
2: So well. Yeah. I would slightly argue with you on one, or disagree with you on one thing which is, I'm not sure he's necessarily optimistic always, weirdly. I feel like he's um... He's experienced too much reality to be entirely, uh, you know, he's 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 definitely, he hopes I think for the best and he tries to do the best. I'm not sure he's kind of optimistic in the traditional sense, certainly not in the wide eyed sense that someone like Luke is. Um, and while he's clean cut, he's, you know, there's none of the sort of Batman one rule here. He will absolutely kill you if he has to. He, oh, yeah,
3: he, hope, yeah. he, he hopes he doesn't
2: yeah. have to, but he will absolutely kill you if he has to
3: i mean in terms of an action hero as well I, I really like the fact that um within the superhero genre obviously he's got super strength but he is also still just a man he can't fly yeah. and so from a pure action perspective what makes especially winter soldier and, and civil war so great is the the fight scenes in that having him obviously be stronger than a normal man but like the corridor fight scenes and him like jumping across roo- across rooftops and um all of that stuff is so exciting and he's a very mm. human character to root for because like you know, he's gonna, he can withstand a real beating, but, um, but he feels vulnerable in a way that some of the other superheroes Mm. don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Winter Soldier is when they figured out how to make Cap look cool in action from that very opening sequence on, on the Lemurian star, it's like, okay, this is a bit different and I like it a lot. And they sort of took it and ran with it through the entire rest of his appearances in a really big way. But yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think when it comes to, ex- uh, you know, the, the whole morally uncomplicated heroes are not boring. Example one for that argument is Steve Rogers, um, in the MCU and in a really big way. And I love how uh, as sort of he gets brought into modern day, and i said this before, but I love seeing good leadership on screen. And Cap is one of the maybe handful of characters who I would follow in battle. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. If Cap is leading you, I want to be right by his side. I mean, I, he's too far, so you know he'll want me. But you know, I'll be, I'll be running, I'll on be running right, right behind him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, you, you go, Steve. I'll catch up. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, he's great. And you, you think about uh, the the uh, the character arcs of all these people on this list. I don't know if anybody has the character arc that Steve Rogers had. Think about from from a scrawny kid in Brooklyn to wielding the power of the gods and leading the greatest Mm. army the universe has ever seen into battle. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And it's an awesome journey. Uh, I feel lucky that I've sort of been able to sort of watch him get progressively sort of more better and more interesting. And and just it's hard not to fall in love with that character over the 10 years that we've seen him. <laughs> don't, don't fight it, is futile. On. Don't fight it. <laughs> especially with that beard my word
2: oh good no, lord
1: but Sharon Carter's not appearing in this podcast hey. <laughs> I've spoken about this before but uh Along with Helen, uh, there's a friend we have called, La- La- called Lamara. Um, and she is like, it's, it's like I have my own personal Chris Evans Google alert with Lamara. It's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I've now grown accustomed to just, you know, every couple of days I'll get sent with Chris Evans with a beard. I mean, it, it's hard to sort of, you know, feel good about yourself sometimes when you just get a constant stream of Chris Evans pics to your phone. But, you know, it's okay. I live with it. It's fine. Mm.
0: I know. It's like the you know. It's like the whether it's him holding the helicopter in in Civil War or ripping the uh, the log, which is not a technical term, in um, <laughs> in Age of Ultron. He, he's he's almost like he and Hemsworth have been putting us Earth to make the rest of us feel bad about ourselves. And it's it's. It's horrible. We love them. We love yeah. them. I can't stay mad at a Chris. I just can't. I can't do it. Uh, but yeah, he's he's just great. And you know, the fact that Tony defers to him is really mm-hmm. telling about you know the 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 moxie that he that he has. And there's just so many moments that, that are just great. The moment in Avengers when the the, the, the the sort of the two cops, one of whom I think winds up an Agent Carter, actually doesn't he? Um, the the no. two cops are like oh, you, yeah. know, you know, oh, why should we listen to you? And then suddenly you know Steve's bashing. Chitari all over the place, and they're like they immediately implement really? his orders. Uh, that's great. There's so a, much.
2: I rewatched Avengers recently, and I think it's the it's the one film where they don't 100% get Cap. He's a lot straighter laced there than he will be in any other film, um, and obviously that was Joss Whedon, who I think is great usually. But I think that's the one bit where they mm, Cap isn't 100% in that film. Looking back, he's still great.
1: I was going to say that scene you were talking about, Chris, with the cops, it's a perfect example of Cap. And in terms of when, when you're around him, you want to be better. And it happens with numerous guys. It happens with Tony. It happens with Black Widow and Winter Soldier. It happens with Scarlet Witch in Civil War. When you're around this guy, you want to be a better person. And that's, you know again, an example mm. of great leadership.
0: Even when he's lying about someone's uh, parent's death, it's, it's incredible. Oh you just want to get behind this guy. You just want to throw your weight behind him. But listen, we could talk about Steve Rogers all day, um, but we have to move Good on idea. In, into the top three. And in three, in third place, well, I think even Steve would go fair play. Well done.
2: Only because he's Tony modest. Stark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tony Stark, A.K.A. the Invincible. Although all recently all too vincible Iron Man. I
2: mean, it took a literally cosmic force, Chris. So I think that it's okay to be vincible by that, really. <laughs> um, what a loser. Yeah. I think. Look again. uh, This is a character with with a great uh, character arc, and while he didn't have the the advantage of having more or less the same writers almost entirely through his MCU journey, what he what they did have was Robert Downey Jr. himself looking out for that character, fighting that character's corner, um, literally suggesting lines, literally you know commenting on dialogue, feeding back, making sure that that. The Tony Stark that we see was a sort of coherent character the whole way through um, and full credit to him. It's an astonishing piece of casting and an astonishing case of um, of a guy just being right for a part and then shaping that part so he continues to be right for it. But I think Tony's journey is, you know, it's the typical kind of, you know, absolutely self-obsessed narcissist you know, wakes up to a wider world and maybe becomes a slightly better person. Um, but it's such a kind of halting journey, and he still retains so much narcissism. I, I say this with love, that um it, it just works and it kind of reminds us that, you know, while we may not all have the innate moral compass of Steve Rogers, we can all try and be a little bit better people. And there's so there's there's nobility there as well. There's no there's there's something good about having these characters who are incredibly flawed, like deeply, fundamentally flawed people, um, who can also, you know, step up when the occasion demands it and make the sacrifice play, as it turns out, on more than one occasion.
3: I think he really changed what um like superheroes could be on screen as well. If you think back to 2008, um <laughs> everything we'd seen was I don't know, uh it was it was alter egos, it was having to hide your true yeah. identity and and him coming out at the end of the first Iron Man and saying I am Iron Man was such a game changer. Um and I think they really kept that that swagger and that cool and that arrogance that kind of makes him so dickishly likable. They kept that even as they made him a better person. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is a really, really tricky line to 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 balance. But they they did that. And so much of that is down to to Robert Downey Jr. Um who's yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, he's fantastic. I don't think enough is talked about in terms of the super climate in those days. You had Batman, you had a Dark Knight coming out that same year. And Batman might be the most popular super of all time it's number one and two between him and superman so to have iron man come in and really give supers more lightness than they've had than than they had had for a while at that time and to really sort of i mean granted it came out a couple months before the dark knight but to do that in a year where a film like that is coming out i think mm. is really exceptional And again as you say a lot of it is down to Robert Downey jr in ways that were mm both immediately apparent and became sort of, you know, more apparent in the, in the years to come in the appearances to come. Um, and yeah, the, the and- ending that character got in Endgame is just absolutely perfect.
2: But you're right. It's it's lightness, but not the sort of comic tone that we'd seen from superheroes in the past. Like in the past, there'd been the dark superheroes, the, the sort of blades, and maybe the X Men, and then there'd been the crazy poppy, you know, Batman and Robins. Mm-hmm. And I think what what Iron Man found was really a third way between those. And, and again, full credit not just to Robert, Robert Downey Jr., but of course John Favreau uh, mm-hmm. for doing that as well. who I think did a magnificent job with that film.
0: Yeah, and also it's interesting to note. That you know, he's not just glib, man. Constantly over that you know, eleven-year period from Iron Man to Endgame, that he he really does grow and deepen as a mm. character, and you know, and he really does display uh, depths of emotion. You know, the Tony of Civil War is very very different from the Tony we meet in Iron Man, um, and I love the Tony of Endgame as well, who is finally reached a moment of in his life of of calm and sin and peace, and you know, he but he's he's happy to to lay it all on the line one last time. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think if they didn't get that casting right, if they had cast anyone else, whether it was Cage or Sam right. Rockwell, you know, or Tom Cruise as as Tony Stark, I don't think we're talking about the MCU in, in terms of his nope. magnitude uh, as we are yeah. now. Uh, I think that's lightning in a bottle. Um, I think the casting in most cases in the MCU is absolutely spot on. Uh, I struggle to think of anyone else who could have played Thor. I struggle to think of anyone else who could, could have played Steve Rogers. Uh, but it's it's Tony who... Who started it all. It's uh it's it's Robert Downey Jr. who started it all, and he's incredible. And you know, I I still worry, because this is the sort of thing that keeps me awake at night, uh, how the MCU is gonna fare without without Downey and without Tony Stark. And without Steve Rogers, of course. But um but but Tony in particular is I, I think the 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 glue that held the MCU together of Steve's the soul. Tony's the glue. Uh, and he's he's a wonderful, wonderful character. Um, the and MCU course, in
2: this scenario is Pinocchio. It has the is Pinocchio. Soul. <laughs> he's a real
0: boy. He's a real boy. The MCU is a real boy. Who knows? I don't know what I'm saying, Helen. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, he's he's absolutely
1: phenomenal. Um, Black Panther I think 2 if, is coming out. The MCU will be fine. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wakanda's got this. Wakanda's, <laughs> you know Wakanda's got this. It's all good. T-
0: T- T'Challa has us. T'Challa has us. <laughs> Peter Parker. Um, Carol Danvers, yeah, they're all they're all great characters, but you know, let's let's see how let's see how things go. Uh, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, all right, uh, at number two on the list, it is uh, Sigourney Weaver as Ripley.
2: Yeah, no, this is right. Okay, can I just take a moment here to very quickly point out that there's only 14 women on the list. Um, that reflects, I think, cinema, not our voters particularly, and um, Rid- Ripley is. Always a fixture on these lists and she's generally the highest placed women um, and that's not great given that she came you know about in 1979, 1979 um, yeah. so we need to we, we need to do better people but anyway um, but she is great and she does deserve a high place on these lists and I think it's interesting that she was almost a Trojan horse in that first film um, she wasn't the advertised lead she wasn't the highest profile cast member she was barely known um, and the film only very gradually comes to sort of really focus on her it's not clear that she's our heroine it's not clear that she's the last girl or that it will be a last girl at all um if you were putting money going into that film you would say it's going to be the captain obviously everybody else is you know anyone else who survives is going to be is going to survive cuz he protects them um and i think that's what's great she she kind of sneaks up on us she sneaks up on our affections and um and sort of wins her place um through sheer mm. endurance and sheer grit um and then in Aliens, which is my personal favourite of the franchise, I'm sure, like, like many people, that is I, I can appreciate Alien. I, I, lo- I, I really, really appreciate Alien, but I love mm-hmm. Aliens. Both are um,
0: masterpieces, but Aliens yes. is masterpiece
2: <laughs> I'm not getting into that debate either but I do think that Aliens is is a more fun watch certainly and part of the reason it's more fun is you've got Ripley as a sort of Cassandra figure in that film she's, she's the one kind of ringing the bell and telling people that they need to be worried that there is a problem that they need to face and being consistently ignored um, except by Hicks in one of the sexiest lines in movie history so mm. it's It's just great to see that kind of evolution and the fact that when she realises that no one is going to help her take care of this problem that she identifies, she just does it herself and she does whatever needs to be done. So she's never someone who goes out looking for trouble, but she is absolutely someone who won't run from trouble when she finds it. Um, And I think that's what's great about her.
0: Uh, Well said. Although I would say, of course, that the Trojan horse in Alien, Helen, is Cain.
2: Literally. Like, uh, literally. I mean, literally literally literally, okay, literally, literally
3: like <laughs> figuratively like you know i i think the seeds of what of what helen was saying about um the fact that she is ignored um by everyone around her while she clearly knows what's going on i like that the seeds of that kind of are there in the first one as well because yeah. she's the one who's saying don't break quarantine we can't let this guy <laughs> back on the ship and i i like that you don't notice it the first time around because it's it starts Mm -hmm. as an ensemble movie um that when you revisit alien um ripley versus ash ash they're sort of meddling behind the scenes trying to make sure that that the uh the sample comes aboard and all of that um you see that she's skeptical of that the whole way along even if you don't really notice it at yep. first because you're just dealing with the information as it comes so i think it's really nicely layered in there that she has a sense of what's right and what's the smart choice even though yeah the the complications around it the situation around it is is complicated
1: now uh, she's a fantastic hero and i just think over the years when. I read about strong female characters. There's a number of people sort of who always tie it back to Ripley because in many ways she was one of if not the first uh in in that kind of just in terms of being a female badass we haven't really sort of seen uh, on screen at that point, and uh, that's an amazing legacy to have
0: yeah. Really is and Sigourney Weaver is phenomenal, incredible in the Amazing. role. I, I think most people would vote for her in on this list based on Alien and Aliens, but she's she's equally impressive in Alien Three uh, yeah. and Alien Resurrection, where of course she made that once in a lifetime basketball shot. So maybe oh. for that alone, she should be number <laughs> two in this list. But uh, but yeah, it's Aliens and it's it's her relationship with Newt and uh, uh, and you know and the the way that her you know, as as Cameron and 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 Sigourney Weaver laid out the way her mothering instinct kicks in in, in, in emphatic fashion towards the end of that movie. That is incredible. Um, so yes, indeed. Well deserved. Uh, and that brings us now to the number one choice in the list. Who could it be? Drum roll, please, everybody. It's pathetic. It's terrible. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it immediately. Uh, it is, of course, at number one, Henry Jones Jr
2: of the greatest theme du- du- in movie history. <laughs> du- 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 <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other podcast, Chris. Mm. Uh, my my thinking is, we love to see people fail and keep going. Um, if you want doggedness, if you want someone who will not give up, even though he consistently fails in his objectives. Indiana Jones is your man and and for endurance alone I think he he deserves a place. But of course he's also clever and in, and actually values learning and exploration. Um while terrible you could teacher. argue sorry,
0: <laughs> terrible teacher. <laughs>
2: I mean, we don't know that for sure, you know. Certainly, his female students appear to be paying very close attention to his classes, um, or something in his classes. I'm not sure what. Um, But also, I mean, he he is not quite as much of a cultural appropriator, if you will, as many of the people he's modelled on. Um, In most of his films, he gives it back uh, to the people who, you know, should have. Whatever the article is artifact is. Um, obviously that golden idol at the very beginning of Rages of the Lost Ark is something he keeps. The question of who the Ark of the Covenant belongs to is not one that I'm going to get into, but you know, hidden is probably a good place for it given what we know about it. Um but yeah, I think he's I think he's not a bad role model, all things considered. He, you know, is tenacious, he keeps going, he studies hard kids, <laughs> and um and he looks really good doing it. So and, may and we all be he- more indie.
3: He straight up punches Nazis, which come on, yes. <laughs> who knew that was going to be so relevant in 2020? But we need mm-hmm. heroes on screen <laughs> yeah. who stand up to fascists, punches them in the face, uh,
0: and yeah, mm-hmm. he does that. So I would, good yeah. on I journey. would argue that the most satisfying sound effect in history of movies isn't a lightsaber being turned on <laughs> or a blaster or any of the great vehicles of Star Wars. It is the sound that Indiana Jones' fist makes when it connects with a Nazi's face. It is absolutely glorious. I don't know what the Foley artist was doing. What it, Were they just punching a side of meat? Who
1: knows? But uh, yeah, all for it. He's probably Ethan Hunt's favourite hero as well because all the <laughs> stuff that Ethan Hunt likes to say, you know, we'll figure it out. You know, I'm working on it. Indiana Jones is doing that. 30 years beforehand. So it's great. But yeah, Mm -hmm. when, when you think of, if we were to do like a bingo, you know, card for all the, you know, coolest hero traits, Indiana Jones would sort of, you know, you know, make the list on like very, very quickly. You think about, you know, cool look, cool, iconic look, check signature Mm -hmm. weapon. Check. Iconic theme, check, 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 check. Uh, you know, the, the the, greatest balance of, you know, vulnerability, but, you know, what's the one I'm looking for here? Mm-hmm. Vulnerability, but. Toughness, you know, he is toughness Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's got that too. The a, a great trilogy of movies, check. I mean, I could go on. It's just insane. And then when <laughs>
2: Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford in his prime, check. Harrison Ford in his I mean, prime, check. The, yes. the guy
1: is sort of you know, it's, it's it's amazing. And then when when you have people like Harrison Ford, and when you have people like Steven Spielberg and John Williams, put all that together, you got lightning in the bottle. And it's no surprise that uh, he tops this. He tops. He tops this list, and it's reason to to. A character like that to endure for 40 years and still sort of top this list really says it all so yeah you have chosen wisely I, empire readers
3: i i think i love yeah. the fact that he's on top of this list as well because he is a purely cinematic hero he is a hero who was designed for the big screen so everything like we said from his look to um the the influences that he's drawn from he is designed to be seen on the big screen in silhouette in person doing these amazing acts of heroism i, I love um that sequence in uh, temple of doom where he's on the rope bridge and the guys are on either mm. side and he's got the machete in the middle and you're like <laughs> and knowing how human he is that he's just going to have to find a way to get out of the situation is so great and so exciting and i think that's the sort of that's the sort of thing that you love indie for well
0: mm-hmm. no, i don't love indie for
1: yeah <laughs> Also to you know to to have a film such as, you know, Indy four and still to the top of this list just goes to show you how amazing and enjoyable the character is. Never heard of it
2: really. <laughs>
0: listen, I think the character is phenomenal and I've long wanted him to make a fourth Indiana Jones movie. And I believe Jim Mangold is working on one as we speak. Be interesting to see, revisit this character in his uh, dotage, so to speak. But uh, if anyone can pull it off, it is is Harrison Ford. And uh, yeah, exciting. But they just ended it in 1989 at Last Crusade, and then made no more <laughs> movies after that. And uh,
3: did I dream that there was something about monkeys and gophers? And no. it must have been a dream. I yeah. must have been a dream.
1: Just yeah. Don't eat cheese I, before yeah. bed, then. Don't do that. <laughs> I, I rewatched The Last Crusade recently. It is still my favorite of the bunch because it's got all the stuff you know and love from Indy, plus mm. that great mm-hmm. father son relationship, and that's what mm-hmm. takes it over the top for me. Yeah. That, that great moment when he's reaching for the Grail. And Sean Connery's like, let it go. And it just hits yeah. me every time. I freaking love it.
0: Indiana, let
1: it go. <laughs> yeah. and, it's, so good. and
2: and a little bit of a shout out as well to River Phoenix for that wonderful young Indiana Jones moment. In that yes. Movie as well. mm-hmm. Oh
1: that, that prologue mm-hmm. is so great. And the way in which John Williams waits until we get until we transition to grown up indie to give us that full blown indie theme is just Chef's curse brilliant. Which is why today on, on stream, on squadcast, my name is John Williams is the GOAT.
0: <laughs> quite right. Quite right. Uh, well, listen, that is it. We've made it to the end of the list. Indiana Jones, a.k.a. Henry Jones Jr., is uh, number one on the list. And, uh, you know, were we all happy with that? We, you know, do we feel anyone else should have been number one or are we, are we okay with, with that?
1: No, uh, I'm okay I mean- with Indy. It's fine. I mean, Kevin Convoy, Batman, but, you know, in the absence of that, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah.
2: I mean, obviously Steve Rogers, but apart from that, it's fine. Bruce, Bruce Campbell,
0: Ash, but apart from that, yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, let's talk now about omissions. Helen mentioned, that, of course, there's only 14 uh, female heroes on the list, uh, and I think there are only... Three black heroes in the list, maybe four. Yeah. Um, so, so, I think is that reflective of the way cinema has been to now? Do you think this list of five, six, five? <laughs> do you think this list in five or ten years' time will be significantly different? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if you could name one hero that you think is a significant glaring omission, who would it be? I mean, you'd hope this changes over time. I think, to to yeah. an extent,
3: it is a reflection of a history that is largely centered around white heroes especially white mm-hmm. men um and we're already seeing sort of changes being made on, on that front and hopefully that will continue and and rapidly grow in, in years to come um i think for me if there was some one i wish was on this list as a recent example it would be uh Catherine johnson from hidden yes, figures the taraji to p henson yeah. character who um i the, like the whole point of that film is that these are f- f- these women were forgotten heroes who in real life did something absolutely incredible without them you don't get the moon landings and their story wasn't told and it was told in a really entertaining way taraji p henson is great in that film um and the way that you see them battling um the sort of yeah massively racist views of the 60s all the um the stuff about having to run 20 minutes across to go to the bathroom and all of that horrible shit. Um, and seeing them not only fight through that, but become part of this wider piece of history, um, I think is is amazing. So I, yeah, I would have loved to see her on, on the list. That's a very interesting choice.
1: Fully agree with everything Ben said. I don't think we'll be able to see the full impact of Black Panther for a while yet. But I do think that that changed a lot of things. In a big way, we've already started to see small. The small we've we've already started to see a little bit of the impact, but I think that's going to reverberate for a while. Uh, in terms of a hero, I'd love to have seen on this list. I recently I recently rewatched The Mask of Zorro. Um, <laughs> that film is awesome, um, mm-hmm. and Zorro not only sort of in that film, but if you think about his place in regards to Batman. Um, he looms large in Batman's story as well. If you read the comments, if you watch the cartoons, uh, I believe I believe in some incarnations, Zorro was the film that his parents were going to see that yep. night, yep. the night that they were killed. So, true. Um, and, he, and then if you sort of look at what Batman's costume is compared to Zorro's, there are similarities there too. But The Mask of Zorro is a film I absolutely love. Um, I would love to see Antonio Banderas in that role again. I believe there was talk uh, fairly recently of a Django Unchained Zorro uh, movie with <laughs> Quentin Tarant, yeah, yeah. I know, that, I know that there's a comic with the two, which you should definitely read. It's really fun. Um, so yeah, I would, I would nominate Zorro to be on this list. Fantastic, I, good choice.
2: I've, I've literally forgotten the start of the list at this point. Did we have Jihiro <laughs> from Spirited Away? She's nope, phenomenal. Nope. Um, did we have Hermione from yes. Harry Potter? Yes. We did. Okay. Do we, we had Mulan? Nope. Well, that's an oversight. Joe in Little Women. I'll take obviously the most recent, but really I'll take any of them. Um, <laughs> would seem to be a good one. Um, we had Katniss. I know. Yep. I mean, it's hard to think of, and maybe Dorothy actually. If we're talking big, big movies, Dorothy Gale, The Wizard of Oz. Yep. So yeah, I think there there are more out there that we that we maybe could have could have added, um, but. Absolutely.
0: Uh, well, listen, we've got to wrap this up, uh, not least because I've got to talk to Simon Pegg in about four minutes, but uh, <laughs> who's not on this list, by the way? Sean ah, from Shaun of the Dead is not Sean. on this list. Yeah. Uh, and I I've, I've, I wrote down Nick a couple. Nick Angel. Nick Angel from yeah. Hot Fuzz. Where is he on this list? It's mm. an absolute disgrace. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> uh, I wrote down a few uh, omissions and we don't have a lot of time, so I'm only going to mention one, which is Bub from Day <laughs> of the Dead, the smart zombie that rips Captain Rhodes into. Then, of course, there's Harry Lockhart from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 3, Laurie Strode <laughs> and Dr. Loomis from Halloween. Uh, you have Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption, The Man with No Name, or Harry Callahan. Actually, if you're on a Clint Eastwood Trip, there's no Deadpool, there's no Kirk, there's no Spock, there's no Qui-Gon Gin. What about Tequila from Hard Boil? Where's he? Where's Rama from The Ray 1 and 2? There's only one Arnold Schwarzenegger character on this list. There's no Matrix, there's no Dutch from Predator. What the fuck is going on? Denzel Washington <laughs> is completely un- not on this list. What the hell's going on? Where's Crazy? What? Hey, where's Crazy? That's the point. That's the oh, point. God. I don't know. Where's Ron Hunter from, from the Crimson Tide? Where are any of the characters from the Fast and Furious movies? Dom Toretto, Luke Hobbs, Han Solo, Jake Sully or Natiri from Avatar. There's nobody mm-hmm. from the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's no Jack Sparrow. There's no Woody. There's no Buzz. There's no Morpheus. <gasps> there's Neonis Trinity, but there's no Morpheus. There's lo- Do we there's-
2: have a Jack Ryan?
0: There's no Jack Ryan. Or there's Marco no f- Ramius? Nope, none of those. Uh, so oh. in terms of comedy, there's uh, <laughs> there's no Frank Drippen. There's no Sean, as I mentioned before. There's, there's no Nick Rivers from Top Secret. There's no Ron Burgundy. There's no Ted Stryker. Oscar Schindler should be on this list, don't you think? <gasps> What about Harmonica oh from Once Upon a Time in the West? Or Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon? Or Serano de Bergerac from Surround yes. de Bergerac? What the fuck is going on? Listen, we could probably do another podcast on emissions alone, <laughs> but I only just wanted to mention one or two, just one or two <laughs> that I thought deserved to be on the list. And on that note, it is goodbye from Amon Warman.
1: Amon Warman will return in another Empire podcast. Peace.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we need to work on that title. It is goodbye from Ben Demption himself, Ben Travis. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Leia Cake, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to rant some more about the omissions. I mean, seriously, Tequila from Hard Boiled? He takes part in the shootout whilst having a baby in one arm and he's on fire in the other one. What's going on? Anyway, incredible film, incredible (laughs) list. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.